We, uh, uh, they did a fantastic job. What, what great songs today. Um, we, uh, we're glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming to worship with us this morning. And uh, we, uh, we don't, you know, I, I still, you know, all these years later, I still don't take lightly. I mean, just any time anybody would choose uh, to come and worship with us, I, I, I think it's a big deal. Uh, I mean, you could be anywhere else. You could be, I mean, you could be at another church, but I mean, you could be not at church at all. Uh, and you chose to be here, and uh, that that always is in the back of my mind. I don't talk about that a whole lot, but uh, thank you. I mean, I know you're not here for me. I, I sure hope you're not here for me. Uh, you will be sorely disappointed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we're, we're glad you're here. We really are. Um, a couple things I want to make mention of, uh, just uh, the things that are coming up here that I think are worth noting. Uh, our kickball, uh, our kickball party. Uh, kickball slaying. Uh, 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 <laughs> let, let the trash talk begin, right? Uh, you know, is uh, our kickball tournament is next Saturday. Look, you do not have to be in a micro church to be at this. Uh, but there's, there's some that think they're going to win and they're going to lose. So, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> And God does not bless the misuse of his scriptures. <laughs> Don't try to Jesus juke me, son. At least not, at least not while I'm on stage. Oh, man. I'm worse than a comedian. Uh, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Seriously, come hang out next Saturday. We're going to have a ton of fun. And seriously, you don't have to be in a micro. And if you're not on a team already and you want to come and you want to play, uh, go out there and sign up before you leave today, uh, and we'll get you on a team. We'll be putting together some extra teams or whatever. We'll figure it out, or we'll, you know, we may infiltrate some of you into, into other teams or whatever. It's going to be, we're just going to have a good time. It's, it's, I mean, that's just it. We're, in, we're eating food, and we're having a good time. So how can you not want to come to that? Uh, so please come hang out with us. Uh, and I think we've moved parks on that. I think we have moved to Bothrop Park now, uh, which is the park right in the middle of Pleasant View right here across from Hills and all that. So uh, it's to try to kind of centralize and uh, I think kind of fence in all the children and stuff too. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, that's, that's going on and uh, we, hope, we hope that you can come Saturday to that. That'll be a fantastic time. Uh, also want to make mention of uh, we have a thing I don't have the date for this. You calendar people, somebody can like throw out a date on it maybe or whatever. But the first Sunday in October, uh, whatever Sunday that is, uh, we have a thing for first responders that we are doing uh, for all the first responders, I think, in uh, Cheatham County. So uh, we're doing like a cookout party for them and their families. So we're doing that down in Ashland City. One of our micro churches is leading out on this. And so still waiting on some details to kind of come back before we can kind of sure up and, and make official announcements and stuff. But I'm just telling you that so you can get it on your calendar. The Sunday before that, and I know, I know, you want, know a lot of you will want to come to that, so you know, I'm just, again, giving you a date, uh, although I didn't give you a date. Uh, and then, see, I knew somebody, the 6th, thank you. Uh, and then the Sunday before that, which I think is September the 29th, Right? I'm going to ignore you. <laughs> on September the 29th, 
we have what's called Serve Sunday. If you, don't, if you haven't been around 24 for a long time, then you may not know what Serve Sunday is. Basically, a couple times a year, uh, we just said, hey, let's put our money where our mouth is. Let's, let's, let's gather the people together on a Sunday morning, and then let's send them out. And let's go, let's go serve our community together. And so that's what we do. And so we have a very abbreviated uh, 9 o'clock service. We do not have a 1045 service on that day. Uh, we'll have a 9 o'clock service. It'll be very short. We will pray together. Uh, and then we'll go out in teams to go serve. And you can go sign up for Serve Sunday out there in the foyer and all that. And Ben will talk about all this stuff, so I don't want to talk about it too much. But just, just throwing some things out there that... Uh, these are important. Uh, I think these are important. I, even, even the kickball thing. I know it sounds silly, but I, I think it's important. Listen, listen, it, the, here's the temptation. If you've been at 24 for a while and you're like, oh, i got all kinds of friends and I, I know everybody at 24 loves me. I don't need to go to a kickball tournament whatever. Here, here's the deal. Let me tell you the truth. We're having families come in here by the droves right now who don't know a soul. Some of you are sitting here. Some of you have just moved to Pleasant View or somewhere in this area and you don't know a soul. And something like our kickball tournament thing is, is designed for us to get to know each other, to make new friends. Those people need us to be there, okay? You know what I'm saying? So, like, get out of your head, like, oh, it's, you know, it's just about kickball. It is not just, it's never just about what the thing, you know, it's never, it's, it's about the kingdom, okay? And so, you know, just be thinking about that. Be, uh, you know, come hang out with us and, you know, I mean, unless you hate you know, new people and stuff, you know, then don't come. <laughs> and the new people are like, I don't know if I want to go to that because there's people here that might hate me. No, I don't think so. Um, I want to share with you before I jump into the passages today, I want to share with you some resources that I've been using as I have been uh, studying through and teaching through the book of Mark. Uh, I, cite, I have cited all four of these guys at some point along the way. Uh, I think I've probably cited all of them more than once, maybe more than five times a piece. I don't know. I try to be good about citing stuff, uh, but in general, uh, you know, I'm, you know, nothing new under the under the moon. You know, it's 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 you know all getting to share on other thoughts and things like that. But I just wanted to share, uh, for whatever it's worth, the the books, the commentaries that God has uh, blessed me with getting to use uh, over the last uh, over the last I don't know year and a half or so. Uh, Tim Keller's King's Cross, uh, which really doesn't even, it's really not even a commentary, but it is, it is Keller walking through uh, the book of Mark. And, and, if, and if, uh, if you would like a read, like something like that, that's kind of commentary-ish, but it doesn't even feel that way, uh, get that. King's Cross, Tim Keller. Uh, also, uh, Tom Wright, Mark for Everyone. R.C. Sproul, uh, Mark. And then Kent Hughes, Mark. Jesus, servant, and savior, and, and all those are just, they're fantastic. I, I've loved, I've loved, I have, I think I've read through pretty much every bit of all four of those as I've been going through this with you guys, and uh, uh, you know, I just, I, I read it, and then I pray, and you can ask my wife, I do this, I do this weird thing when I'm studying, I'm like, I'm like reading, I'm praying, the TV's on, I'm like playing a game on my phone, and you know, there's, you know, I don't know, whatever, and, you know, and, and, you know, people would be like, what are you doing? I, I just, and it's, and it's this process of just like praying through and thinking through, God, where, where is this supposed to go for us? What are you trying to say to us here? And so, uh, and even today, as we're kind of closing down Mark to a degree uh, for us in this study, uh, you know, still today, I'm actually going to actually read a passage out of King's Cross for you today uh, as we get into this. If you got a Bible, go ahead and get it out. 
And uh, let's go to the book of Mark. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have them. And they are, they are like the Uber drivers of delivering Bibles. And they will bring you one right now, right to your seat and hand it to you. All you got to do is throw your hand up and let them know that you want one. If you don't own one, you can keep that one uh, and you can uh, take it home with you and let the Lord use it in your life. Uh, if you need to borrow it, that's fine too. But uh, we're going to Mark uh, chapter 15 and uh, uh, we're going to do something kind of cool. Uh, Mark 16, about halfway through 16, not even really halfway, I guess uh, it's probably halfway, what looks like halfway in the chapter 16, uh, which we'll get into 16 here in just a minute too. Uh, there is a portion of the, there's a portion of that chapter uh, that we believe to have not been in the earliest of manuscripts. And, you know, in other words, it got added along the way. Um, read a lot about this. Um, ben is going to teach on that for us some next week, uh, talking about Scripture as a whole and how we look at the Bible and some of those kinds of things and things like that and how do we decipher and some of those kind of things. I don't want to say too much about it, uh, but I'm excited about that. Uh, it'll be, you know, he'll kind of talk about some of that stuff. It's not really going to be about necessarily that particular passage, but I'm sure he'll, he'll touch on that. And uh, uh, the truth is, is that it, it, it almost kind of feels like that maybe maybe Mark's earliest manuscript like got kind of got cut off like maybe there was the very end of it was lost or something or maybe he really did end it the way that we have what we think is the ending uh, but somewhere along the way uh, somebody added you know to it and and I think that they meant well uh, but we are always very careful about you know what we what we agree on with scripture and what is scripture and that kind of thing so again he'll he'll be talking about all that stuff so uh, pretty cool stuff and uh, uh, I'm gonna round this out. Uh, before that uh, today. So, um, all right, let's, let's look at this. Mark 15, uh, and thank you to Nathan for, for teaching last week uh, while uh, Ben and I actually visited with uh, Real Life Sango. That's a church plant that we have been uh, helping to support, uh, and we, <laughs> there's a lot to it. We don't have time, uh, but literally uh, several pastors uh, got together for a couple of years and prayed together about a church plant that didn't exist, and we didn't have a pastor for it, and we would just get together and pray. And out of that came Real Life Single. I mean, it's total, total God thing, total God thing. Uh, I was fortunate to get to be a fly on the wall through some of that. And um, anyway, uh, Freddie T and, and those folks up there are doing a great job, and uh, we, got to, we got to go celebrate their first year anniversary and that kind of thing with them. And uh, yeah, it was, it's good stuff. So, but anyway, thank you to Nathan for teaching last week. Nathan taught last week uh, on the crucifixion, uh, took us through the cross, and I, I heard fantastic things uh, about his teaching. Uh, and today, we're picking up where he left off, uh, which is right after Christ's death. And so Mark 15, verse 42, uh, we have this moment in time where literally Christ is still hanging on the cross, and he is dead. And so what happens next? Let's, let's just read that together. It says this in verse 42. It says, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who also himself looking, uh, was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate, and asked for the body of Jesus. 
Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Hoses, saw where he was laid. So this is this, is this really incredible moment of, it, it doesn't seem like much, but there's a lot to this. There's, this is this moment where after Christ has died on the cross, and you've you, you got to remember, we've got to go back just a minute and remember that basically all of the disciples of Christ, have, they've, they're gone. They have taken off. They are in hiding. They are fearing for their lives that people will recognize them as those who were with Jesus. And, and for that fear alone, they're, they're gone. They're in hiding. We, we, don't, we don't see them in this moment. But here's this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, who we don't know a ton about, but we know for a fact that he is part of the council. Now, the council being the Sanhedrin, which is the group of people who sentenced Jesus to death. Okay? <clears throat> now, we have, because of the other Gospels, and we know Mark is you know, not always great with detail, uh, you know, we have in the other Gospels uh, some more explanation about Joseph and knowing for a fact that he's part of the Sanhedrin, but that also that at the time of the sentencing, that Joseph was not for the sentencing of Jesus. So we've got Joseph. It's not that Joseph was like one minute he's wanting to kill Jesus and the next minute he's wanting to bury Jesus. It's not like that. Joseph took courage. You see that? You see that? It says in verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage. First of all, he's looking for the kingdom of God. Mark, Mark is, you know, again, when we know that somebody like Mark is very specific with his words, and he, you know, takes a side note to say something like that, like uh, that he himself was looking for the kingdom of God. Uh, Mark is making a point here. He's like, this guy is on our side. This guy is pro-Jesus. And then he's going to Pilate, and he's saying, may I take and bury the body of Jesus. There's a ton going on here culturally that we need to know about, too, that I think is important uh, to the passage, uh, such as the Sabbath started at nightfall at dark on Friday and went through until the evening on Saturday. It wasn't like, you know, like it wasn't like, you know, midnight to midnight or something like that. It was like dark to dark. And the Sabbath at that point in time was celebrated on Saturday, but it started basically on Friday night. And so culturally speaking, the reason that this is important is Pilate is trying to do something that's not actually going to be an easy task. He's trying to go ahead and get the body of Jesus and bury Jesus before Sabbath comes. Well, at this point, it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We know that when, you know, about the time that Jesus died, 
And so Joseph is, is wanting to take on this great task to go and bury a body. You see, you, you, couldn't, you didn't bury a body on the Sabbath. And Joseph was afraid that Jesus would have to hang there. Also, speaking to that, is Old Testament law speaking to the fact that you shouldn't leave a body hanging overnight or over the Sabbath. And so Joseph is trying to, he's trying to do something here that he feels like is the right thing, okay? And, and specifically speaking, because he thinks, we, 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 can, we can pretty much draw some lines between things, that we think that he thinks that Jesus is the key to the kingdom of God. He was looking for the kingdom of God, and then he goes to Pilate and says, may I go and bury Jesus? Now, this is a big deal alone, because why? Well, the same reason why all the disciples are hiding. I mean, those guys are hiding, why? Because they are afraid for their lives of being associated with Jesus. And here's a guy that's on the council, who's going to Pilate, who is the one that eventually would, after Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin would uh, you know, vote you know, Jesus out you know, to be killed, that Pilate would be the one to make the official, okay, he is to be killed, ruling. And so he's going to go to Pilate now and say, hey, you know, I want to I get this guy's body and I want to take him and bury him. And what's it say? It says that he took courage. He said, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. There's, there's a whole lot with this little bit of this passage before we even get to the resurrection. And, and you know, all of, these, all of these little things I think are super important. You know, but you take this, this instance, this moment of Joseph willing to go to Pilate and have that conversation. He's putting himself in danger. Pilate could turn around and look at Joseph and go, oh, so you're one of those guys. I mean, we just killed this guy, you know, and, you know, you're one of those guys? Do we need to be worried about you? Do we need to kill you? Do we need to remove you from the council? I mean, all of those things were on the line at the moment that he went and talked to Pilate. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. I didn't see anybody really talking about this in particular, but I would venture to say that part of the reason that Jesus did already die, because basically Jesus beat them out to the point where normally they would come by you, if you were still alive when you were being crucified on the cross, where they would literally break your legs because people would push themselves up to get their breath. And when they would break their legs, it would eventually cause them to suffocate. Jesus had already died before they got to that point. And the reason I think that he was surprised by this is normally folks would last longer. And, and we believe Jesus to have been probably a very strong guy. We don't believe Jesus to have been like, you know, some sissy who's sitting on the couch eating Cheetos all the time, you know, or whatever. Not that, you know, you're a sissy if that's what you do, whatever. Off the top of my head. It's what you get. It's why you don't need to come for me. Um, and I think for us to understand that the beating that Jesus took before he ever got to the cross, I think is probably the reason. 
why at this point physically his body couldn't take anymore. He'd, he'd already lost who knows how much blood. I mean, I mean, this, at this point in the story for Jesus, I mean, it, it, had been, it had been so bad. Before he even got to the cross, it had been so bad. I know Nathan talked about that. Here, Pilate takes the courage, to, uh, or Joseph takes the courage to go to Pilate and says, can I take his body? Why, why even fool with it? I mean, we talked about some of those cultural things, and yeah, you know, we know that cultural things can really drive, you know, something and somebody at certain times or whatever, and we, we, get, we can get that. We can get that, but, but there's, there's, there's more to it. Joseph, Joseph felt led to do this, so, so much so that we see Joseph do something very personal. Not just, he doesn't just take his time here to, to, to do this and like put himself in the midst of a moment, which by the way, when Pilate looks at the soldier and is like, is Jesus dead? That's not like a quick, oh yeah, he's dead. Uh, no, it's a, he has, to send Je- he has to send the soldier to go see Jesus. Now Mark puts this in here in particular uh, for the understanding of, of if, if you'll notice, Mark starts naming people a lot through this part of the story of Jesus. I mean, he's like naming this person and that person and this soldier does this, this soldier does that and all this kind of stuff, and it's on purpose. It's for historical value. It's for an understanding that this isn't some, you know, circus thing. You know, that this, is, this really happened. And so Mark, you know, when he says, you know, that he asked the soldier, the centurion soldier, hey, is Jesus dead? Well, the soldier had to go a ways away to go to see Jesus. Pilate, Pilate, wasn't, Pilate wasn't on that hill. Pilate wasn't there. He went to see Pilate in a different place. Pilate then had to in turn send the soldier. Then the soldier has to come back. That's not helping Joseph's timeline. That's not helping this whole like Joseph trying to make this happen before the Sabbath, you know, thing here. And 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 so for for Joseph, you know, he's he's putting a lot on the line, but on top of putting a lot on the line timing-wise, and, and, and all this, he's defiling himself. I don't know if you remember or not, but there was, that, there was the, the, the time when Je- Jesus, and we, we went through this in the book of Mark, where Jesus went to the island with all the people and all the pigs. Remember that? And it was like, and it was all, and it was like a, first of all, it was like a graveyard, and there were pigs everywhere. And so there was like double, double duty, Jesus being, and, and all the people that were with Jesus going into that place, that basically they were defiling themselves this is again going going back to culture at that point in time. We're like, if you did that, you couldn't just like go to the temple after that. You were like, oh no, you're dirty. You gotta you gotta stay away for like whatever, ten days, thirty days, two weeks. You know, I forget what it is, but I mean, you know, basically Joseph is putting himself now in that position where here it is, Passover week. Okay, big. That's a big deal that this is Passover week, and then Joseph's like. I will get my hands dirty and defile myself where I can't even come to the temple for whatever it is, a couple of weeks or something. And Joseph's putting it out there, but then even further, Joseph offers up, and we know, again, just a little more from some of the other Gospels, we know that Joseph not only takes him to a grave, but he's taking him to one of his graves, He's taking him to his family's grave. 
And, and to get the full picture of that, it's not like a cemetery and the things that we're used to and that kind of thing. We're talking about something that's cut out in a rock. It's more like a cave. It's got a shelf in it. And, and they literally, and I don't get too far into this or whatever, but just so that you have some understanding of how this worked, they literally would take a, a body, and of course they would wrap it, and generally speaking, they would like anoint it with oil and spices and all this to try to keep the smell down and that kind of thing. But they would wrap it, and they would lay it on this shelf in there, and, and the whole point was not to just like leave it there forever. The point was that when the body would have decayed, and then it was eventually bones, well, then they would basically box up the bones, and then they would go to kind of another spot in either that cave or another little cave that they would have that would be their burial sites for their family. And so Joseph isn't just taking time. He's not just putting himself in a danger. He's not just defiling himself. He is giving of his own property, like I'm willing to take Jesus, this person who they just killed, who they might want to kill him because he's wanting to do this, to their family's grave. I went to a family reunion yesterday. I'm not even sure I'd take you to that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It wasn't that bad. And I love my family. But, you know, I mean, there's some real sacrifice going on here. Like, he's... he's He's not, Joseph isn't a guy of making excuses, at least not on this day. I'm sure he has his days, I'm sure he had his days just like the rest of us do, but on this day, he wasn't making excuses of like, oh, well, I'm not paid enough, or I don't know enough, or I don't have enough time, and I'm too busy, and all this other stuff, and you know, well, somebody in the family may be mad. I mean, just think about that, right? I mean, surely somebody in the family got mad. but the grave wouldn't keep him. And so he gets Jesus, and he wraps him, and they're rushed. And they're so rushed, they don't have time to prepare Jesus. Do you remember, do you remember the story of the lady who poured over Jesus' head? Do you, remember the, do you remember that? Do you remember that whole thing, the, the cologne, the, the spice that she poured over Jesus like a whole bottle's worth that was probably like uh, a year's salary worth of liquid that she poured out on Jesus, and the disciples got mad at her. You remember, this was in Mark. And, and, then, and then Jesus looks at the disciples because they're all, they're all hacked off. They're like, oh, we could have sold that. That would have bought a lot of steaks, you know? And, and Jesus is like, no, she's preparing the body for burial. All the, way, all the way up, all the way up, Jesus, Jesus keeps throwing down the knowledge. Nobody's picking it up. Three times, three times, I think chapters 8, 9, and 10, Jesus tells the disciples on the third day, I will be raised from the dead. And they, they don't get it. And, and the truth is, is we wouldn't have either if we'd been there. Jesus laid in a tomb. The family tomb of Joseph. And not really prepared. 
But the ladies are mindful of this. And we pick up in Mark 16, verse 1, of exactly that. And it says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, I'm sorry, the mother of James and Solomon, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. So basically, they immediately were ready to go to Jesus on Sunday morning. So, Sabbath, no go. Can't be doing anything on the Sabbath, okay? And, um, and I, I, just, I just imagine what that day was like for the Marys and for so many others that had put so much trust in Jesus. And then come that Sunday morning when the Sabbath was passed, again, the Marys bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And it says in verse 2, And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? You see, even for them, even though they had heard Jesus talk about these things, no, nobody was really expecting a resurrection. And in fact, the, the idea of a resurrection was so far-fetched for them, even culturally. I mean, and it's not like something that we're looking for the, this day and age very often either. Uh, you know, but let's just face it, for them at that point in time, historically, they, there, was, there was not much of a belief in a resurrection. They hadn't quite begun to understand you know, what that would mean and what that meant for the kingdom of God and all those kinds of things. And so they went to him... First day of the week, which again was Sunday, the day after the Sabbath. And by the way, you know, people, I think it's worth noting, uh, people ask the question, you know, okay, so the Sabbath was on Saturday, but we celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. We worship on Sunday, right? Here we are, it's Sunday. Uh, yes, and the reason being is because of what's about to happen in Scripture, which is that Sunday is now considered the Lord's Day, because that's when Jesus rose from the grave. And so the Sabbath was moved as a day of worship to Sunday. Jesus in the tomb. They're going to see him. They're not thinking about the resurrection. In fact, they're, they're more worried on their journey over to the burial site to see Jesus, to anoint his body with these spices and these things that they have purchased as to how are we going to get in? Who's going to roll the stone away from, for us? And obviously, I think speaking to this, they really knew that they could not do that. And it says in verse 4, And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Again, mark of not many words, giving us these important details, Right? And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter... Again, here's Mark. 
being very specific with something, go and tell the disciples and Peter, right, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, what's he say? Just as he told you. (laughs) And, you know, this is an angel, by the way. We know this without a shadow of a doubt from the other Gospels. We know that this is an angel that is speaking to the Marys. Uh, And, uh, you know, there's part of me that just, like, was there any voice inflection when he said that? Like, because I want there to be. You know, it's like, you know, like, like he told you, you know, or whatever. And in verse 8, it goes on and says, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And, and saying nothing to anyone, meaning until they, get, until they get to the disciples, and we know that also because of the other Gospels. Because they do go tell the disciples, and the disciples are like dumbfounded, and they're, you know, some of them are completely not believing uh, until they get to see Jesus for themselves. I mean, sometimes I just think to myself, I don't think we really, we really just really get how amazing it is what God has done. What God has done for us is absolutely the most incredible thing that's ever happened in history. I think about, you know, great historical moments along the way. But what God did in resurrecting his son takes the cake takes the cake. This guy says to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. It wasn't an accident. They didn't get to the wrong grave. You know, and I, and, and you know, you hear talk of things like that and we'll talk a little more about it here in just a minute, but you know, I, I think it's important for us to kind of to kind of continually piece together all the facts, all the things that we've got, all of the accounts. Again, Mark's being very specific with all the people that are being named. So are some of the other gospel writers. And, I mean, it's really just amazing. We had been given a new king. A new king. That when Jesus came into the world... He came to do something that no one else could have ever done. In fact, I'll read to you Romans 8.38. It says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the glue to everything. I mean, think about that statement. He's the creator of the world, and, 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 and through him and in him, nothing can separate us from the love of God because of the work that he has done. He brought the kingdom I mean, it is, it is in him that the kingdom of God has come. They, they obviously didn't fully understand that. I, I totally get that. I totally get that they wouldn't fully understand that. But, I mean, you just, you just think about that. You think about what God has done in this amazing thing. With the kingdom, we are reminded 
that all things will be made new. That in Jesus coming and bringing the kingdom of God, ushering the kingdom of God into the world when Jesus came, that it was the beginning of God doing something amazing. You see, God didn't just come come to redeem. He came to restore. I don't think a lot of folks really understand that. and I don't know that I fully understand it some days. And I just pray about it and think upon it. And as I read passages upon it, in fact, I want to read this out of uh, uh, Matthew 11, verse 5. It says, uh, this is, by the way, John the Baptist, uh, where he sends one one of his disciples to ask Jesus if he is the one, okay? So this is a moment where John the Baptist is like, hey, uh, one of you guys, will you, go out, will you go find that guy? And I want you to ask him if he's the one. This is before they've met in person here at this point. And, and it says in verse 5, it says, this is Jesus' response to, to uh, John's uh, little disciple guy. He says, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is saying, I have brought with me something that has never been before. I have brought with me what will eventually be where there is no more sickness. All of creation will be made new. And then you got, I know folks that are, like, oh, well, you know, how, 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 do we, how do we really know? How do we really know that Jesus came? How do we really know that Jesus, you know, was resurrected from the dead? Let, let, me, let me say something here, really important. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, if, if God the Father did not raise him from the dead, which is scripturally how that should be said, if God the Father did not raise his son Jesus from the dead on our behalf, everything that we are doing here is worthless. Everything here we do is worthless. Our whole faith is based around that thing. I, I know, you know, we, we talk about the cross a lot. And I think, I think churches in general can be guilty of not talking about the resurrection enough. You know, it's like we only talk about the resurrection on Easter. You know, and the truth is, is without the resurrection, the cross would have been worthless. So how do we know? Well, historically speaking, we have accounts just kind of throw a few your way. You can go check some of them out. Paul mentions five appearances of Jesus after the resurrection where at least one of those appearances, there were at least 500 people there. Acts 1 verses 3 and 4, and you can go look it up on your own, says that he appeared to uh, people for uh, 40 days. He appeared to different groups of people for 40 days. There are seven appearances accounted for through the four Gospels of Jesus appearing to people after his death. If you take all the different ones and the same ones and put them all together, there's at least seven that they talk about. Here's here's to me a little proof in the pudding. If you were one of Jesus' disciples and you saw him dead on the cross, you saw them kill him, and then... In the aftermath of this, there's supposedly there's this moment where Jesus comes back to life. I mean, if you want to talk conspiracy theories, you know, which I know some of you really love, 
If you want to talk conspiracy theories, I want you to think about the kind of conspiracy that it would take for all of his disciples to believe that he had come back from the dead if he really had not. I mean, let's, let's just say, let's just say for, the, for kicks and giggles, let's just say that Jesus didn't come back from the dead and that the disciples were making all this up and they were going to like, you know, try to live this life of like trying to talk people into believing because let's face it, what do we know of the disciples historically after Jesus comes back from the dead? We know for a fact that almost every single one of them would end up dying teaching the truth of Jesus Christ and that he was risen from the dead. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's just say that you got paid real good. Let's just say there was somebody that had a ton of money and they're just, they're just whipping out the $100 bills for you to tell everybody about your conspiracy theory. Are you willing to die for it? Are you, are you willing to die for it? And, and we're talking about the disciples here. We don't, have any, we don't have any scriptures of where the disciples got crazy and went out and bought themselves a big crib somewhere in the end. None of them got any Lamborghinis. You know what I'm saying? The disciples would go on to give their lives to the teaching of Jesus, not just died for our sins, but resurrected that we might be saved. I mean, Jesus paid it all. And, 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 you know, we, we say that. But, I mean, think about that. You think about, uh, and one of the commentators said something about this. You think about, like, a, a, if you commit crimes, if you commit a crime, and you go before a judge, and you get sentenced to prison, and you go to prison for a while, and then they let you out, they don't let you out of prison until they feel like you have done what you're supposed to do to pay for the crime. Jesus went to death for us, and he walked away from it a free man. In other words, God took Jesus in the resurrection and stamped out all of history as paid it all. Paid it all for all of our sin. All of it. All of it. I want to read this thing that Keller said. It just is too good to not read it. I'm just going to read it. Here's what it says. This is from um, King's Cross. Last chapter. It says, When Jesus shows the disciples his hands and his feet, he is showing them his scars. The last time the disciples saw Jesus they thought those scars were ruining their lives. You think about that. He says, the disciples had thought that they were on a presidential campaign. They thought that their candidate was going to win and they were going to be in the cabinet. And when they saw the nails going into his hands and the feet and the spear going into the side, they believed those wounds had destroyed their lives. And now Jesus is showing them that in his resurrected body, his scars are still there. But wait, why is this important? Because now 
that they understand the scars, the sight and memory of them will increase the glory and joy of the rest of their lives. Seeing Jesus Christ with his scars reminds them of what he did for them. That the scars they thought ruined their lives actually saved their lives. Remembering this, scars will help many of them endure their own crucifixions. That the scars they thought ruined their lives actually saved their lives. In that moment, for those disciples, when they saw Jesus killed, they thought everything that we've done for years now, what was it for? If he's not the guy that's going to become the king, again, they're thinking earthly king, they're thinking about, you know, political things, and they're like, he's dying there. It's all, it's all been for nothing. Our lives are ruined. And if that had been true, and he didn't come back from the dead, I guarantee you there wouldn't have been a single one in line willing to give their lives to go and teach the truth of Jesus for the rest of their lives, and most of them to the point of their own crucifixions. Romans 4, verse 24. says this. I had it saved. I messed it up. Romans 4.24. It says, But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul teaches us something here. He teaches us that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, but he was raised from the grave that we might be justified in the eyes of the Father. That means this. Justification is this. It is the act of being made right. And it's not, not necessarily because we suddenly become right all the time. We know that. We're still sinners struggling. But we're saved sinners struggling. Made saints in the eyes of the Father. We are justified because of what Christ has done for us, not because of what we can do for ourselves. You see, we can't save us. We need Jesus to do that. We trust in Him for that. That we are delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's what Jesus did for us. The blood that was shed was for our sin. The empty tomb was that when God would see us, those of us that have believed in Jesus, trusted in Him to be our Savior, that when He sees us, He sees Jesus. 
He sees perfection. He sees righteousness. We can live a different life knowing the work of Jesus. We can trust God for His peace. We can save, we can be saved as the worst of all sinners. And He can save the worst of all sinners. He will use the one who has fallen the farthest away. Peter, remember Peter? What Mark say? Mark said, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Huh. They're making sure. That angel is making sure that Peter knew he needed to be there. Jesus still wants you. And maybe, maybe you're somewhere in your faith right now. Maybe you're somewhere with your walk with the Lord right now that because maybe you feel like you've turned your back on God for too long or you've done these horrible things or people think that you're the worst person in the world or whatever it is that, that Jesus would never want you. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus sent that angel to make sure that the message got to the disciples and Peter. Mark said it. I guarantee you if Mark said it, that's legit. Because Mark doesn't say a lot sometimes. And for us, we can see for us that it doesn't matter how far away you get from the Lord. He still loves you. He still loves you. Why did he do it all? Why would he go through it all? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. And, and so the biggest question I can ask you today is this. Do you love him? If you don't, I'm encouraging you today. Don't, don't leave this place before you get to talk with somebody about what it means to trust in Christ to be your Savior. God wants to do a great work in your life. And only he can. And it is only through Jesus. And because of all that, we can be thankful that not only did Jesus die on the cross, but that there would be a return of the King and an ushering in of the kingdom of God that we could trust in what God has done for us in saving us despite ourselves, all because of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for your grace. We know we don't deserve it. But God, we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't take it for granted. God, that you would use it in our lives to continually bring us back to you. God, may you be glorified in us. God, use us however you can for your glory. God, be honored in us. God, as we remember you even in the next few moments, God, be glorified. Lord, I pray that you would save the worst of all sinners, just as you did me, one of the worst of all sinners. God, thank you. Thank you for your work. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen.